Welcome to It Is What It Is. I'm Corbin. And I am Anthony. And last week we left you with the uh, possibility or the, the hypothesis that everything is causally determined and marketers know that and they are manipulating you. Such a positive tone. <laughs> <laughs> what a good takeaway. <laughs> so we wanted to look uh, this week at um, some challenges to determinism. We, we presented it uh, with uh, the strength of the scientific kind of argument and an understanding of cause and effect and how those are related. And so to reject determinism is maybe to throw into question the idea of cause and effect. The first challenge to determinism is uh, maybe a classic one that we can deal with kind of quickly. Um, for much of history, human history, there was this concern that you couldn't have activity, motion, or reality without some kind of source. You needed a, a an original place or uh, substance to get things moving. And so God or a first cause, or, you know, if you think cosmologically like a big bang with nothing before it, there had to be some starting point. And so determinism might still be true from that point, but there had to be at least one thing that caused without being caused. And so that idea of a first cause or first mover was very popular throughout uh, much of human history, it was even used as an argument for the existence of God. Uh, but I think it relied on the idea that things couldn't go on indefinitely. We couldn't regress forever with prior causes. And I don't think we're too worried with that objection these days. I think at least I'm very comfortable with this could have always been going on. Yeah, and uh, we talked last week about how, you know, science at the micro scale can affect us in the macro world. Uh, but there's, you know, there are some discrepancies, you know, when we talk about quantum mechanics, uh, the things of the extremely small, right, we can't fully go from that picture to this macroscopic worldview. There's some disconnects in there that either don't resolve or they're inconsistent. And I think, you know, when we talk about the the things that we do in the real world, there's, you know, there's a, dis a discrepancy with that as well. It's not just, you know every chemical in my brain tells me what to do like we we make decisions right and we also experience that decision making process you know uh i pick something and then i kind of deliberate whether i should do it or not and then after i make my decision i'm like oh no what if that was the wrong choice and then i can have i feel at least that i have the power to go back and write that you know think of uh, impulsive shopping right you make a a What's the word? A uh, buyer remorse? Yeah, buyer's remorse, yeah. Yeah, you make a purchase and then you're like, oh, crap, I shouldn't have spent $10,000 on a lollipop. Mm, <laughs> maybe I should just go back and and re and return it. <laughs> or you enjoy it, you know, one way or the other. But we still feel that we have that power and we observe that we are making these decisions. So we did say last week that we shouldn't... Um jump to conclusions from ignorance like maybe we just can't explain why we had that experience and maybe it is still caused but it's really weird that reality would uh, have this chain of events that would cause actions that would include the sense of not knowing what to do or this uh, kind of sense of I, I know what I have to do and I don't want to do it like this kind of contrary to to action feeling and so what you're talking about this idea of deliberating on decisions and and feeling like we actually have a choice it's all in a, if determinism is true that's all an illusion but it's a really weird illusion where did that come from and why do why do all of us experience that 
that's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, I think there's some fallout with that too. Like, if decisions are an illusion, you know, how, there are other things that are impacted by that. So I guess one example is um, indeterminism, right? Every cause leads to an effect. And if every if there's an outcome for every single effect, there's there can be no better outcome or worse outcome because there's just how it is. And so if there's no better or worse, how do you evaluate anything? And if there's no, (laughs) if you evaluate, (laughs) you know, if you can't evaluate things, how do you come up with uh, norm structures, laws, because all of those things are judging criteria. And I, I think that's like when I, my mind starts to, to bend radically. I'm like, oh, my God, the world is falling apart right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is probably my biggest concern with determinism is that if it's true, then all senses of values and norms are complete illusions. And we might feel them, might have um, emotional kind of caused reactions to things, but there is no legitimacy to any norm. And if that's true, that goes really deep. Like a lot of people like to point to determinism and say, well, if we're all determined, then nobody can be held morally responsible. And so the ethical objection is, if we wanna treat people as agents who are responsible for their actions, then we need to attribute to them some kind of agency or free will. But man, this goes way deeper. If there's no norms, there's no such thing as correction, correct answers in math, right? Like three times five is whatever three times five produces, not there's a relationship between three times five that is accurately represented by 15, right? That That's a norm. And we don't think of that very often that mathematics is a normative discipline. Uh, similarly with language, how can I apply a concept if there's no right or wrong in how that concept applies or word applies to reality? Um, how can my actions have goals or projects if there's no right way to achieve a goal? There's no better or worse way to to pursue something. Yeah, that totally uh, so, destroys non the nonprofit world. I mean, the nonprofit world is based on this idea that, you know, we are set out to accomplish a goal, right? But there's no wrong or right way to get there. And it takes a lot of time and there's a lot of evaluation. And essentially like, you know, Nobody can ever be cured of cancer. No one would ever be able to, um, you know, we can't rid the world of homelessness. We wouldn't be able to ensure that people have access to technology all across the planet because there just would be no way to measure success in any of those realms. Yeah, so um, one, one point of clarification, because we could see homelessness eradicated, but the issue is that it couldn't be a project that we take on. Right. So, so just to clarify, things could still happen in the world that we might want to see happen, but we couldn't attribute anything that we did to that happening. Yeah, so for me, those are the big uh, objections to determinism. Uh, we still have to figure out what the alternatives are, though. <laughs> there are alternatives? <laughs> right? Uh, we see cause and effect. We see fire causing smoke all the time. So... How do we, what's the alternative? I think what you pointed at, this experience of deliberation um, highlights maybe the next big school of thought. We'll call it libertarianism. There's different different words for this kind of school of thinking and it can sometimes just be called the free will position. But uh, when I say libertarianism, I'm not referring to the political ideology. So uh, there's a relationship there of freedom. You know, in the metaphysical sense, we wanna talk about being an agent that's free to make choices and to do things of their own volition. And in politics, we want 
that kind of freedom to make our own choices without being constrained by government or social forces. So there's a there's a parallel there, but there are different philosophies. You can be a libertarian metaphysically and not a libertarian politically or vice versa. It'd be I'd say that it'd be weird to be a libertarian politically and not believe in free will. <laughs> <laughs> They're like freedom for everybody, but you don't have a choice in that freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's conceivable, but wow. <laughs> so um, why do we think that we have free will? I, I think you kind of indicated already, like we make decisions or we feel like we do. We go to Subway and decide, man, what sandwich do I feel like today? I would like to, you know, this podcast is all about NBA and philosophy and pop culture. So I wanted to throw in this idea of like the NBA game, right? You can look at it from a deterministic level and say like every action has a consequence. All the players, you know, they're basically robots on the court doing the bidding of the coach, uh, you know, and you could kind of look back at the chain, right? The ball goes in the hoop because a player threw it in there because it was passed to that player, because the screen was set and the player went around the screen, all the way back to the previous action of the inbound pass from the previous basket. But uh, in games, right, all games, there's decisions that have to be made within the gameplay itself. And, um, you know, when you hit that screen... You know, let's say you're setting a screen for me and I'm coming around the screen. I have choices to make. I can choose to go around the screen or not go around the screen. I can choose to, uh, you know, after I go around the screen, I can dump it to you in the pocket for a layup or I can pass it to a wing for a three. And in that choosing, you know, there's evaluation happening. And we said earlier that determinism doesn't allow for this evaluation. How do we understand like that there's free will in these decisions or, you know, versus like, are these predetermined outcomes? Is it all random chance? Um, so what, what kind of sense do you make of this? Yeah. First of all, I like how uh, this ties back into our conversation many weeks ago about phrenesis and the idea that a good basketball player, what, what separates um, the talented basketball players from the greats is their ability to make decisions in the moment. Um, but if it's all determined, what a weird, what a weird thing that some people would have a slower reaction time. I mean, I guess it's not that weird, but it's, it's purely biological whether somebody is, is good at making decisions because there's no such thing as a decision. It's just a matter of a rapidity of reaction time, and um, I mean that's that's fine. Maybe it is what it is, right? That's why we're going over this determinism thing, but. Uh, we tend to praise players for their snap decisions and for seeing and, and evaluating what's going on in the court. And you're right. If there's, if it's all determined, this idea of evaluation is an illusion. We have really um, no legitimacy in attributing it to that player other than descriptively, like they are a faster decision maker than others, but there's no reason to call that good or, or bad. They just, that's just the way things are. Right. You've mentioned this a couple of times, this idea of um, <clears throat> norms and decisions being illusions. Uh, can you elaborate on that that illusion concept a little? Like, what does that mean? Like, how can we perceive decisions, but, you know, ultimately they have no effect? Yeah, good. So the, the technical term is epiphenomenalism, meaning that we can have... 
we could have a deterministic worldview and still account for mental states. Maybe that emotions and thoughts are things that are caused physically, but because mental states are effects, after effects of physical processes, and the physical processes also have their other physical effects, there's no way that the mental effect, the emotional state or, or thought could retroactively act on the physical chain because it's already moving on past this, right? With the delay in physiology and our brain to us having this thought, we can't then act on the chain of, of cause and effect because on past it. So all thoughts and all feelings are like an after image that I call them illusions because that's easier maybe to grasp the negative connotation of we have these thoughts and feelings and they really mean nothing. They are, they're just explosions in our brain. Uh, so I do have to acknowledge briefly, I'm not a, a dualist, but uh, some more technical terms, sorry. Monism's, uh, monism is the idea that whatever exists is, is in one realm. Everything interacts in one realm. Uh, dualism would be that there's two realms and typically this is divided into the physical and the mental. So they, they have separate chains. Maybe you can have a deterministic physical world, but a libertarian mental world. And maybe that's how you can have something like meaningful thought or, or emotions. But what's weird is how do those two separate domains that presumably don't have anything in common, because if they did, the physical would absorb the, the mental and cause and effect. So how do our thoughts and, and feelings about the world then act on a world that it can't interact with? So, so that's a weird um, kind of tension. Maybe you can give an escape, escape route. We have freedom in the mental world. Yeah, that's great, but I can't do anything in the physical world with that freedom. Yeah, that's like sort of being a prisoner to to reality. That would be such a weird existence. Like, I guess sort of like the Matrix, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Right. So they're kind of like a chain of thought going through my mind now that. Uh, maybe we don't have time to get to today, but it definitely is a very big question that I think everybody would re be really interested in discussing. And that's, uh, you know, if if decisions aren't um, if decisions aren't an illusion, but they're not, you know, entirely free will, it really brings to mind what this question of uh, consciousness is. I guess the first question is, what are decisions in the first place? And then what, because of that, what is consciousness? And the big question here is what is intelligence? Uh, something that yeah. I'm deeply fascinated with and constantly, you know, we think of human intelligence as a very unique kind of intelligence. And for sure it is because uh, we were able to articulate norms and values and language, which, you know, we aren't able to observe this in any other species to this degree, but there is evidence that language and norms exist in other life forms. And so this really begs the question, like if free will exists, then it has to exist in other creatures. But if it doesn't exist, then our intelligence isn't very special to begin with. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, so. So it might be helpful for our listeners to to recognize that the metaphysical debates about free will and determinism, uh, or whether there's one domain or two domains, these are metaphysical precisely because they 
are outside the scope of evidence to be decided. Like you can't um, look at the world and say, oh, option A is right and option B is wrong, precisely because these are uh, accounts that are supposed to be able to explain all of evidence and they are still in conflict with one another. So all the evidence could point to one or the other equally well. So with that being said, uh, we, if we take a metaphysical approach to reality, that will affect our definitions and how we understand the evidence in that reality. So what is a decision? Well, it depends. Are you a determinist where a decision is really just a causal chain that has a mental parallel where somebody thinks about the options prior to doing things they were always going to do? Um, or is it something like libertarianism where you actually have the ability to, to make a decision and have an effect on the world? And as a result, uh, a decision is something like a moment of self determination, self, self-empowerment. It looks like we're getting into a, it is what it is territory. It's not, I mean, it's not very easy, right? To be on a path where um, your perspective changes the definition. It makes it hard to even have an argument in the first place. If, if you have one <laughs> definition of a, of a task and I have another definition and like those two things are just fundamentally incongruent. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of arguing about metaphysics precisely because it's really hard to bring enough to bear into a conversation to change anyone's mind. And I'm not even sure what I think on a lot of these because they're so complicated and intertwined. Um, but I think they're important. I think they're good questions to ask and they motivate other questions. So while I don't know precisely what I believe, whether it's a deterministic world or, or one in which we have free will, I, I think examining that question from time to time helps re-motivate the other questions about physics, about ethics, about knowledge that are, are maybe a little bit easier to get a handle on and, and just as important. I do want to just kind of say briefly, uh, one thinker, Roderick Chisholm, argued that uh, like the argument that we dismissed kind of earlier, the first cause argument, where Aristotle said that there had to be an original mover or there has to be a mo an unmoved mover that gets everything going into motion. Uh, we can imagine an infinite regress, but Roderick Chisholm said, why not treat every agent as if they are an unmoved mover? Not that they're completely unmotivated, but in the sense of causal chains, they can start a new causal chain. They can enact as a source, a new set of, of effects. And that will ripple through the other cause and effect chains that are, that are in reality. So it's not, you're not stopping other cause and effect chains, you're interacting with them. And so every agent is an unmoved mover. And we can extend that beyond humans. Like you brought up the possibility of other life forms, uh, animals, or maybe AI or whatever. We can attribute agency to, to, those, to those kinds of creatures and beings and they could also be unmoved movers that start new causal chains. So that's that's one possibility. This is a very mind-bending and uh, twisty episode of It Is What It Is, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what are you experiencing as mind-bending? <laughs> uh, all of it. I mean, the idea that, um, that we can create causal chains and then interact with them. Who needs shrooms when you got these podcasts? <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> you know, I don't know where this fits in the determinism libertarian uh, philosophy spectrum, but 
what you described kind of reminds me of uh, multiverse theory, where each action, or I shouldn't say action, each decision creates a uh, a parallel multiverse so that basically there's like an infinite possibilities of parallel universes that exist because of every decision point that gets made, you know, so every decision that I ever make in my life is basically like a infinite series of parallel universes. But then also every decision that you make in your life gets added to that multiverse of my life. And you think about every single person on the planet, every possible intelligent species in the universe, just this like massive, massive array of multiple parallel universes that if you were an omniscient outside observer, you could see the whole spectrum of possible decisions. And there's no correct path. If you're seeing all of them, they all exist technically, which to me would indicate that that there is free will in choice. Yeah, that's fascinating because then it could be uh, both could be true, right? You could have determinism at the single world level and uh, free will at the multi-world level. One question I would have about that is, who are we attributing the agency to? Is it the me in this world? The me in the alternative world that t- makes a different decision? Are we the same or are we different agents? Or is there a meta agent that acts on all the worlds simultaneously by making all the possible decisions, right? So, so the question of, what is an agent becomes really exploded and difficult to answer. But it is a, it's not an uncommon um, approach to talk about a multiverse and, and to think how that applies to this conversation. Yeah. And I, um, I think the only, there's like, to me, there's two possible solutions here. One is that, you know, we're not, maybe we're not the causal agent. Right. And there's, there are these branching points, but we really don't affect those. And the other much more complicated thing to come to grasp is maybe we are um, more than the four dimensions that we perceive. And and the decisions themselves being extra dimensional. So we wouldn't be able to see those branching points, but we can certainly visualize them, right? Like how many times do you say like, uh, I'm going to, you know, picture myself having breakfast this morning and it's like I can either choose eggs or choose cereal and I'm picturing both outcomes and the outcome in reality doesn't stray too far from what I originally thought and so maybe that is giving us a glimpse into uh, into this multiverse theory or maybe I'm crazy we're breaking philosophy <laughs> and physics right now and it, it just is what it is 